brought a stack of Bibles, literally, and uh, just this. I found this subject much more challenging than uh, yeah, other things I've endeavored. And I said last time, Martin's probably more uh, suited for this, but I I felt I was somewhat resistant. And I had to break through that. I actually enjoyed the studies thus far. I'm not a book person. I think Matthew can relate to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, I think we have to be. We have to be a book person. We have to read the book. And to a certain degree, even if you're not an academic person, we need all to be students of the Scripture. There's something wrong here, Nathan? Okay. All right. Promise not to yell. Don't breathe. Legs are slowly going down. <laughs> anyway, technical difficulties. It's going to make it there eventually. Sorry, all well, this trouble just because I want the taller pulpit. But, uh, so we'll endeavor. I don't know how far we'll get. Uh, it is a huge subject um, such that we can only just skim off the surface and especially when you have a guy like me doing it who feels very ignorant on the subject but nonetheless we can gain uh, I've certainly learned some things uh, in studying so just to get a general kind of overview the time span the scriptures was written so from um, over what period from when was who was the first writer of the scriptures so yeah I'm I'm going with yeah I'm going with all of those so Moses was the first one and how many books did he right Five ladies went like this. Five books, and they are called uh, in various names, Book of the Law, Books of Moses. Um, the Lord said, did, what did Moses command you? So it's uh, widely attested. Um, and who was the last writer? <laughs> Martin's not allowed to answer. Jake? John, yeah. The Apostle John. So from that time period, you're around 1,500 years. Um, but it covers about 4,000 years of human history from um, yeah, the beginning of time until 
And it goes off beyond what we are now uh, are experiencing, off into the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, telling about things to come that haven't happened yet. And most of the scripture has been fulfilled. Even in the book of Revelation, I know that wouldn't be um, a common view, but I believe that most of the book of Revelation and prophecy has been fulfilled. Um, What is yet to be fulfilled is the coming of the Lord himself, which um, no matter how um, liberal a view you take of Uh, last things it seems very clear that the Lord will come bodily to this earth and uh, that has not happened yet so that's the the general time frame and I wrote out my own um, synopsis of what the Bible is about the central theme and I'm just going to read it The character and ways of God, his dealing with mankind, his purpose, his salvation, his plan for his creation and those who would reject him. Such revelation was through one nation beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and ending with Christ and his chosen apostles. That's my summary of the written word of God. Can I repeat that? Sure. The scripture reveals the character and the ways of God, his dealing with mankind, his purpose, his salvation, his plan for his creation, and those who would reject him. Such revelation was through one nation, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and ending with Christ and his chosen apostles. That's my best uh, summary of the entire uh, revelation of the Word of God. And it's compiled of how many books? Dave? 66 books. 39 uh, in the old, 27 uh, in the new. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, and in Genesis, it's you read through the narrative, and it's, Abraham's moving from place to place, and Lot went with him. <laughs> it always, and Lot went uh, with him. And it seems like when you read the history of the Bible and its uh, unfolding and its uh, transmission, um, you have uh, the Apocrypha coming with it. <laughs> they translated the Apocrypha. And those are, I think, uh, 14 books. And ultimately, those were rejected from the canon of Scripture. And, uh, but they're included in the Catholic Bible. Um, they're basically historical, historical books covering the silent years in between um, the um, ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New um, interesting read, but they're not um, inspired. So let's look at a few uh, scriptures. Second Timothy, 
3.14. Now the Jews were the uh, keepers of the the scriptures, and they took seriously the uh, recording of them. And Second uh, Timothy uh, three fourteen. Start reading in verse fifteen. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now when Paul says all scripture, he would be including his own writings, but... Really, I believe he's referring to the what we would call the Old Testament. So when they the Jews would have been preaching from from what books? Dave? Okay. When the apostles and early Christians went about preaching about the Messiah. What books were they preaching from? Uh, sometimes it just says scriptures. Sometimes it says the law of prophets. Mm-hmm. Yep. And which would include... Well, uh, yep, the Psalms. Yep, Isaiah. So they would have been preaching from what we would call the Old Testament because there was no New Testament at the time and it was unfolding... But really, it wasn't, um, the revelation wasn't finished until John. And those books would have been uh, slowly being circulated through the church. And so the, the Bible that they had compiled in written form, which was they referred to as the scriptures, would have been the books of Moses, the writings, the Psalms, the prophets, and uh, all the way to Malachi, they would have had those books. And out of that, they would have preached Christ Jesus, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So in the first century, that's the, the books that they would have had. And it had been well established, as we shall see. And then turn over to Second Peter, which we've started to look at but second peter 1:19 he says we have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Inasmuch as the the writings of scripture were given by a human instrument, behind it all 
is the uh, inspiration of God himself. So it can be said that the Bible that we have in our hands is the very word of God. Even though you can see the personality, if I can say that, the character, the, the education of the different authors of Scripture. So when you read, let's say, for instance, First uh, John. Uh, for Greek students, they take First John as the first book you learn how to read because it's one of the easiest. But then if you, say, read some of Luke's writings, they're actually the grammar, the vocabulary is much uh, harder, more difficult. The syntax, the sentence structure is everything is more difficult. Paul is kind of middle of the road. And you can just, by observation, see that. You can just learn a few, maybe, I don't know, maybe 200 words in Greek, and then you're off and running reading John's writings. But whereas uh, Luke is concerned, much more difficult, and Paul. So you can see the education. Paul was, uh, he grew up with rabbis, and he was very schooled in language and all of those things. And God can, did use both of those men. But through it all, God was working so that the finished product is the very words of God. Now, um, probably some of the best, or, yeah, I guess I'm biased, but anyway, who isn't? Um, some of the best strengthening uh, messages I've heard on the subject have been what Martin preached some years ago about um, the surety of the Word of God. And that's really what um, we're endeavoring to do, I think, to that you don't have this doubt in your mind when you're reading. I, I wonder if this is really reliable. <laughs> I mean, when you think of that, what is that whole voice really saying? <laughs> when you think about it, wasn't it the, the devil who first wanted to cast what in someone's mind? Doubt. And anything that's th- sort of, whether someone's intending that or not, um, and many people are not, uh, I certainly wasn't intending, and I believe many men are not intending to cast doubt in people's minds about the scripture, but that's indeed what many um, well-intentioned people do when they handle this subject. Um, They just cast a cloud of doubt into your mind as to the surety of the word of God, and particularly when it comes down to uh, any kind of translation that someone would hold in their hand. At the end of the day, they would say, well, yeah, if in the original it's, you've got the inspired word, but yeah, in, in your own language, it just, it isn't. Sorry. And that's basically where they leave you. And some people that affects greatly and other people it doesn't seem to, but um, I was schooled in Bible college Theology that would say that, yeah, the inspiration of the Bible ended 
um, with the original copies. And how many original copies are extant today, existing today? Matthew? None. You're right. Zero. Everything you have is a copy. Um, so what does that mean? Now, this is where the, yeah, people don't like where that logic goes, and they don't even address it, frankly. They don't. I've never, I didn't hear it, hear it addressed. They just didn't put it that way. Uh, but what does that mean if inspiration of the Word of God is only in the original copies, and we don't have any originals today, what does that mean in practical terms? We don't have an inspired scripture. Like, it's inescapable. And at the end of the day, that's what they're saying, but they don't say it. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know how else to put it, but that. And, but they don't like all the implications of and certainly you were laughed to scorn if you believed in an inspired translation in Bible college. I'm not kidding. The one student, the one Greek student who dared to have, this is what's called the Nestle Allen Greek text, which most Greek students would use today. This would be what's called the Textus Receptus, which would be the basis for the King James. And you were laughed to scorn if you use this. And you were really smart if you use this, which was we'll get into later. But it was, yeah, I can remember the one student I was snickering at. Um, so that whole, uh, yeah, doubt and the need for to know the original languages, and if you don't, you're, that's it. Oh, boy, you really just can't get at the truth. Sorry. Um, as my Greek professor said, it's nice to have someone to fix the refrigerator when it breaks. And so the, the Greek student who has, you know, most people don't, are not fantastic in their own language, never mind a language that uh, is not spoken anymore, and they are largely ignorant and they don't think of it but you get somebody that learns a few uh, vocabulary words and then they just think I'm, I'm off and running <laughs> you know move over uh, and then of course when you're a young man you just yeah high confidence low experience and it just produces for most people um, yeah not the right thing but anyway, um, at the end of the day, we want to do uh, and to uphold your confidence that what you hold in your hands is the very word of God, and you can trust it. So that's my uh, rant uh, for the day. Just some interesting uh, facts. The, the scripture was recorded on, uh, at the beginning. Tables of stone. Now, you're not going to get much on, t- on two tablets of stone. 
and uh, it was recorded, those first words of God recorded on uh, tables of stone. But then through the law, you realize that Moses took out pen and ink, and he wouldn't have had nice lined sheets of paper, but uh, the scripture was recorded on papyrus, which I believe was some kind of reeds that they used to make paper out of. Animal skins were also uh, prepared, something kind of like leather. Um, I think Paul mentions to um, one of his companions to bring the books, especially the parchments. So parchment was also a kind of paper. And they would have written down the letters and the scripture on on any one of those kind of things. And availability of them would have been a a large factor. There wasn't paper factories. There wasn't... uh, And everything was done by hand. I don't know if you realize it, but it's a tremendous privilege that you can hold in your hand a whole copy uh, of the scriptures, and you can, it's, it's your own. Some people have, at least in North America, have more than one Bible. And for, for centuries, even to, the thought of having your own Bible was just, it just wouldn't happen. Um, kings were to make a copy of the law themselves. There's a Interesting thing that copies aren't inspired. Kings were to make a copy of the law and to read it. So you can understand the level at which you had to be to to have your own copy of the scripture. And yet today, I think the net effect of the availability of the scripture causes us to... I don't think we do it willfully, but it does cause a certain familiarity and a certain lack of appreciation. Can you imagine if we had one Bible in this whole church? We're not a huge church, but we had one Bible. And imagine how you would kind of treat it. You wouldn't just be sort of dumping it there or leaving it here. You just wouldn't. And something that's valuable, you tend to... uh, And you really don't know that until you actually own something that's valuable and you just don't leave it lying around. You don't leave it out in the rain. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't, you, you keep, you don't, you, uh, the Muslims have a very high um, view of the scriptures and their own scriptures and they don't, yeah, they would never throw their Bible on the floor of the car, for instance. They'd be just horrified how most Christians treat their Bibles. So the, the invention of the printing press and all that has made Bibles very um, accessible and cheap. And the result of that is it's, at least in our country, um, has many people, and even amongst Christians, they don't have a, an appreciation for the value uh, of the scripture and how For centuries and centuries, thousands of years, people just didn't have that. They just didn't have have the Bible in their hands. So we, yeah, if anything, you just want to 
renew again an appreciation for the Word of God and the responsibility uh, we have in uh, handling it. So the Bible was uh, recorded in really two languages, Hebrew and in Greek. And we'll look into the history of that, why that is so. And then I've just gone down and I've just wrote out a timeline for the revelation of the scriptures, which was very helpful to me. And I've sorted through a lot of the what I felt were needless details and like the first woman that printed the Bible like do I care about that? Like, do we care about that like, you know I just thought that was like really anyway it's got nothing to do with it, but really you know the first Bible with illustrations oh, save us from that um, so We're just going to go through that, and then we'll develop in our minds a timeline of the revelation uh, of God. So from creation uh, to 2000 B.C., there was no written revelation of God for 2,000 years, at least. That's a long time, and truth would have been communicated how? Talking. Now, there was things written down. So it isn't that there was people couldn't write and they were dumb, like the kind of ridiculous thinking. Uh, people are actually smarter and they've gotten dumber, unfortunately. Um, but uh, things were written down, but they weren't, we had no uh, authoritative revelation. Certainly they would have written things down. The Egyptians, Chinese, everybody was writing things down. But uh, there wasn't any uh, prophets writing things down as of yet. If you turn to Jude, Jude, second last book of the New Testament, Jude and verse uh, 14 It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So here's Enoch. He was very close to Adam, much before the writing of a written revelation of God. And what is he doing? He's prophesying. He's preaching the truth. Noah is referred to a preacher of righteousness. So they had revelation, but it wasn't written down, and they were preaching it. But there was no recording of it, per se, at least in the official sense. But they had truths, and they were communicating them. And that's how things would have been um, or were before the time of Moses. 
And God was working in history, and he was speaking to men. He called Abraham when Abraham was living where at the time? What area of the world was he living? Matthew? But that's not a modern, I'm thinking of a modern area. I mean, yeah, Middle East. Yeah, yeah, Middle East. And he moved to another part of the Middle East. (laughs) Uh, So he's in that area. It wasn't down in, you know, South America or something like that. So God calls Abraham and then he works through Isaac, Jacob, and he's speaking to men. But there is no uh, written revelation. And somewhere, it's, it's believed that uh, the book of Job was written, or uh, the events of Job were occurred around that time, extant with Abraham. And there were, there were righteous people in the earth at that time. It's not like everyone was pagans and they were, I mean, was it Abimelech who said, will you destroy a righteous nation? So there were other people that were, uh, if I could say, that were worshiping the true God. But God was revealing his purpose and plan with one man and one nation. And that was uh, through Abraham and ultimately through the nation of Israel. So then you come, he prophesies that, that uh, God is going to have a people through, through Abraham and he's going to bring them back into the land of what now is called Israel. And through that time he brings the nation down into Egypt where they become a nation. They go in there, 70 souls, and they come out 2 million, some 400 years later. And out of that time comes a man named Moses, who God calls to begin writing the scripture. And that's around 1,500 years before the coming of Messiah. So from 1,500 to 400 in that time is the, um, the revelation of what we would call the Old Testament. Uh, turn to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. 25 and verse 21. <clears throat> And he says, Thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. So for sure they put the, I can't remember if they put the whole book of the law in there or whether they would have just put um, the 
what we would call the Ten Commandments. Um, anyway, I haven't thought all through of that. Obviously, it hadn't all been recorded, so it hadn't even happened. So for sure, the tables of stone would have gone in there. And so the Law of Moses is how many books? Five. It's called the Pentateuch. Five, penta meaning five in Greek. And it would, would have recorded uh, all the way back to the beginning of the world. Now, whether Moses had other books, information, um, or whether God just revealed it to him directly, I, I would certainly go with both. <laughs> Either way, he was directed by God to write about the history of the world. It's not a science book. It's a, uh, a record of the beginning of of all things, of creation. And I don't believe you can press it to be a science book. That's not why it was written. But one thing is for sure, the, the Lord Jesus had confidence and all of the Bible writers assumed that this was the word of God and that it wasn't questioned as to its reliability. You'll find that throughout the New Testament and throughout the writing of Scripture, that nobody questioned, um, is this the Word of God? Like today. And that, that's why I don't think it can impress upon you enough the importance that that must be our conclusion. They didn't think, hmm, I wonder if I can trust. They just never had that thought, it seems. Now, people have struggled with, can they trust God? But that's different. Um, I'm not saying it's a good. I'm just saying that as far as the revelation of, the written revelation of God, the writers of Scripture, they didn't have this cloud over their minds. So we have three different divisions of the books uh, of the Old Testament. I've called them early history, pre-exile into Babylon. <clears throat> and those would be the Law of Moses, Joshua, second, First and Second Chronicles, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Jeremiah recorded right up to them going into exile into Babylon. That's what's called the pre-exilic books. Then you had... Um, the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, etc., were all um, pre-exilic books. Then you have exilic books are books that were written while they were in exile or coming back in between that time. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Ezekiel, and Daniel was written while... The nation was at the end of their 70 years in Babylon. Because uh, Daniel says, I read or I understood by the books. So he had the prophecies, he had all the way up to Jeremiah. Books that he could read and understand that 
oh, this is going to last 70 years, and we've been about that time, and he started to pray. And so Daniel uh, would have existed and lived during that time. From the beginning of the exile until the end, he was an old man. And then you have post-exilic books when they came back to the land after the 70 years in Babylon, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So most of the Old Testament is all written before the exile into Babylon and then during the exile into Babylon and then those prophets were prophesying Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi after they came back. And then you have what's called the silent years um, between the ending of Malachi's prophecy and the beginning of uh, the recording of scripture by his apostles in 45 AD, roughly around that time. So around 300 BC, all of the Old Testament books have been collected and have been recognized. Um, So much so that this the uh, this is what's called the LXX, or another word for it would be the Septuagint. So the scriptures, you know, the Jews were dispersed in the world, um, and Babylon had ended. The Medo-Persian Empire had gone its way, and Alexander the Great came on the scene. All of these prophesied in Daniel's vision of that great statue. So Alexander swept through the world and conquered, and with it he brought his language, Greek. And Greek was then the, if I could say, the trade language of the world, until the Romans, even when the Romans took over, then... Greek was still spoken. So every empire had its impact uh, because the Romans would have uh, spoken Latin. But uh, at that time in history, there were many Jews dispersed and they would have, um, like any other people that's dispersed out of their land, their language starts to become less and less. You could see it even with the German people. They come out of Mexico, everyone speaking German to their children, and then you go down the... It doesn't take long before, guess what? The children don't speak German anymore, even though they're of German um, origin, you could say. And it'd be like that with the Jews. They're separated from the land of Palestine. Um, They would endeavor to go back Every year they were supposed to, but some just wouldn't be able to, and you would have uh, people that would be not speaking Hebrew anymore. They would speak Greek. And guess what? When you can't read the scriptures in Hebrew, and there's nobody to explain it to you, what happens? You need a copy of the scripture in your own language, which most people um, would appreciate because you just cannot, if you don't have a copy in your own language, you can't understand. You can't read, you can't understand. 
And so through that time, the, what's known as the Septuagint translation is produced, which would become the scriptures of the diaspora, the dispersed Jews. And I've read the preamble in the Septuagint, which I thought was very interesting. And I'm just going to read... Because there was many, I didn't know, there were many legends uh, attached to the origins of the Septuagint. Uh, I don't know if you've heard any of them. That um, I think the LXX, Matthew? What's Septuagint mean? 70. 70. I think, oh, 70. I think the LXX is for 70, yeah. And I think that's... The, the tradition is that 70 men translated the Old Testament scriptures into Greek. I think that's where it came from. In 70 days, wasn't it? That's one of the um, theories. This man says that there are many um, embellished and various fables attached to the origin of the LXX. <laughs> so he writes... Um, and others that uh, one of the Egyptian kings wanted a copy of the law and he brought men from the land of Palestine to translate the uh, Old Testament uh, Hebrew scriptures into Greek. But one thing is for sure, and this is what I wanted to, to read, is that they received um, <clears throat> they received the Old Testament scriptures in Greek as it was the very word of God. How they would have reverenced and had esteem for the Hebrew scriptures. Um, we find amongst the members of the Eastern churches who use the Greek language that the Septuagint had been and is still so thoroughly received as authentic scripture that any effort to introduce amongst them versions which accurately represent the Hebrew, as has been attempted in modern times, has been wholly fruitless. So there was um, many attempts after to improve the Septuagint version of the scriptures, of which didn't seem to gain much um, traction. Other words, they received the the, the version because a, a version wasn't a different translation in the same language. It was a, a different translation, and so a version would have been German, English, Hebrew, and that's that was a version. Our idea of version is you know you've got the ESV and the NIV, and that's yeah that's largely been a waste of time. I'm sorry to say. Um, but a version for them was a different language. And that's, but they received it as it was the word of God, so much so. And by the time the, it began being translated in as early as 285 B.C., and then it was certainly completed um, within a, sh- a short period of time, but anywhere between 285 and 250 
And then you see in history that copy of the scriptures being circulated throughout the Jewish diaspora. And they held it. It would have been read in the synagogues. Moses read in the synagogues. Now, there would have been Jews that spoke Hebrew, definitely. But the large majority of people who had been living out there for decades or even hundreds of years would, perhaps many of them, not had uh, the Hebrew uh, language. And remember when Acts, when Paul... um, was being taken in the temple. It says he got up and he, was, he addressed them in the Hebrew tongue. I mean, it was still, they would have considered themselves to be the true Hebrews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But nonetheless, many Jews um, spoke uh, Greek, and Paul did as well, Greek and Hebrew. Um, but the, the point that I want to underscore is that they received in that language in Greek the scriptures and they had esteem for it they weren't thinking well it's not Hebrew so it's not really the Bible Uh, so much so that the Septuagint was used by the apostles in the New Testament I think that's uh, I haven't verified it for myself but that is what I believe to be true that the Readings of the Septuagint are recorded in the New Testament, and the apostles would have received that as the word of God. Now, they still, uh, in Palestine, they would have spoke Hebrew for sure, but uh, they did speak uh, Greek as well. And I don't think we should... um, there's so much clash between the languages. Oh, it says this and that. I, didn't think it, I don't think it's meant to be uh, some kind of clash. And uh, many times in different languages, some things are very hard to communicate. And um, if you get into Bible translation, it's, yeah, you'll find that to be true, of which I don't think I'll have any experience myself, being unilingual. But all that to say, the Septuagint version of the scriptures um, started in that time period. And then by the time the apostles were writing the New Testament, they would have had, and it would have been in use for over a hundred years, this translation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Then in A.D. 45 to 100 the New Testament books are all recorded. And by the time 150, the New Testament canon is established. So after the death of the Apostle John, as early as 150, all the New Testament books, men that would have lived um, during the time of the Apostles would have established by personal testimony the New Testament canon. And then there was various false uh, New Testaments that were written, which would have spurred them on to establish the New Testament books. And, but they weren't necessarily all... Um, yeah, it wasn't a firm thing, but I, I believe that uh, that's when the canon was established as early as 150 A.D., <clears throat> 
in uh, 305 to 310, which I didn't uh, write it down, but I believe that Emperor Constantine would have, and does everyone know who Constantine is? He was the, the Roman emperor that made Christianity the religion of the empire, which really uh, was the beginning of end for true Christianity, and the true Christians were then persecuted by the false Christian church that arose because basically all of paganism came into the Christian church and ruined it. It was better when they were being persecuted by the the pagan people. So in 305, uh, Lucian of Antioch, Greek New Testament, becomes the basis for the, the textus receptus, the received text, which was uh, written by a Catholic monk in 1516 was the first compiled um, and printed Greek New Testament. So prior to that, prior to 1500, um, forget exactly when it was recorded, I think the, uh, in 1455 the printing press was invented. Imagine going from writing every copy of, you can imagine how long it would take to copy out the entire Bible. I mean, we're talking years and years and years of labor to uh, hand write a copy of the, the Bible. So that's what was done for up until... 1450, and then a very, what we would call rudimentary, but nonetheless a large leap ahead, because you could make one page at a time, and you could make many copies, whereas before it would take many, many years of hand copying the scriptures. Um, So in... 312, a copy of the Bible was ordered by Constantine and is kept or was kept in the Vatican Library. <clears throat> and in 382 to 405, Jerome translated the New Testament into Latin, which becomes part of the Latin Vulgate. 39 books of the Old Testament, uh, 27 of the New Testament, and 14 apocryphal books. They're just always there just for, for a long time. Anyway, the, uh, due to the Catholic influence uh, that was becoming prevalent in the, the church, would have been started with Constantine and would have gone for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Catholic Church ruled the world with the Pope as the king king of the world. But through it all, uh, God's hand was still on the scriptures. And you think, oh, how is that possible, Martin? In the, yeah, covering the history, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. They recorded. There's not any Hebrew. It's not a Hebrew Bible that the Jews use. You'll find the apocrypha in that. Right. But uh, you know how we end up. 
how we meaning the yeah. I yeah, I am not. I mean, this part of the apocrypha has um, the Maccabees would have recorded the time period in between uh, Malachi to uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, how his destruction of the or his attacking of the temple and sacrificing a pig and all of those things and all of that time period. But uh, how or what use they were, I'm not sure. I know that the Roman Catholic Church takes their, um, the introduction of purgatory, I believe they get out of the Apocrypha. And perhaps that's why they uh, were so big on keeping it there. Um, I don't believe, I believe it's a stretch, but it's still, that's where I understand the Catholic Church gets their doctrine of purgatory from the apocryphal, apocryphal books. Sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. Um, so Latin is one of the early versions of the, um, of the Bible, and uh, largely because of the now the Roman influence in the church, the Roman Catholic Church would have started in those early 300s, and then it was in full force by 600. So 300 years it took for it to develop, um, but through that time, the Bishop of Rome would have taken prominence and uh, fulfilled um, many of the prophecies of Scripture, the 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 man of sin arising, declaring himself to be God in the temple of God, uh, would have been fulfilled by uh, that man. Now, what, how that's all going to take form in, the, in our day, but certainly that uh, scriptures were fulfilled in the coming of the, the Pope and all that he stood for. The, in 397, the Third Synod of Carthage approves the New Testament canon. They would have rubber-stamped it. It had already been established for many, even hundreds of years, but it would have been, again, solidified. 27 books of the New Testament. By AD 500, the scriptures have been translated into many different languages. So... Codex Alexandrius, um, Coptic, Armenian, um, Gothic, which I believe is, uh, I'm not sure whether that's Irish uh, language, but many different uh, languages the Bible would have been translated in. By AD 600, the Roman Catholic Church declares Latin as the only language of Scripture. And that was in place for about a thousand years until the Roman Catholic Church printed their own English version after a thousand years of holding that position. Um, and the reason why they did that, or what they, they wouldn't have declared it perhaps, or maybe they did, is to keep the scriptures from the people. Because many people didn't speak Latin anymore, it was just the clergy and 
they would, by that, if you couldn't read the Bible, then you couldn't understand it. And it was kept that way. I believe in 1200, they declared it illegal for you to have a copy of the scriptures. So it went from 600, 1200, 600 years of where they, in 1200, they declared no lay person would have, you had to be clergy to have a Bible. So in that time, multiple smaller works of, in different languages were recorded, portions of scripture in this, that, or the other. Um, Yeah, in 1229, uh, the Catholic Church declared no layperson may own a Bible. And by 1381, the light of what calls the Reformation began to dawn, and it was early. I know that Martin Luther was given, his name is attached to the Reformation, but actually started with uh, John Wycliffe and Certainly, there was probably many unnamed uh, faithful people that would have uh, yeah, believed the scriptures and fought against what the Catholic Church had enacted. So John, John Wycliffe and his associates, 1381, begin to translate the Bible into English. A handwritten copy, uh, a complete Bible with the Apocrypha. And so John Wycliffe was, again, declared a heretic, and he, I believe he was uh, burnt at the stake. And in 1455, Gutenberg invented the first printing press, and the Bible was printed in Latin, which the Catholic Church approved of. Um, but um, the... People had already gotten a taste. Imagine a handwritten copy, one copy. Imagine how long it would take for scribes to, again, hand copy the, the Bible into, and to, just to have two copies. It would have taken a lot of effort. But nonetheless, that's when it started. Erasmus uh, produces the Greek New Testament, a forerunner to the T.R., in 1516. And Martin Luther produces the German version of the New Testament from Erasmus's Greek New Testament. And then by 1536, Luther had translated the whole Bible into the uh, German language, which, again, the Catholic Church did not approve of, having the Bible in languages that people could read. And it was being disseminated into the population, which would have fueled the um, backlash against the Roman Catholic Church and their doctrines. And then a man appeared on the scene, William Tyndale, and produces the first translation from Greek to English. And Tyndale, again, is declared a heretic. Uh, Miles Coverdale completes Tyndale's work and prints the first complete printed Bible in English in 1535 because the printing press is invented and then the Bible is then being um, printed. And Tyndale, again, uh, is burnt at the stake 
for his crimes against the Roman Catholic Church. I think there was like 200-something charges of heresy against him. And they even dug up his bones and 40 years after he died and pulverized them and scattered them on the Swift River. That's how much they hated uh, these men who, at great cost to their, their lives, they translated the scripture into a tongue that the people could read. And then there's a, a lot happens in those years after, uh, started by, by Tyndale or, or by Wycliffe and then Tyndale. And then the Tyndale Bible is printed in English in 1537, 1539. The Great Bible is published for public use. In 1546, the Council of Trent declared the Vulgate as the exclusive Latin authority. Council of Trent also would have um, declared the doctrine of justification by faith to be false. And they were fighting against the Reformation at that point. The Geneva Bible was printed in Switzerland in 1560. The Bishop's Bible, a revision of the Great Bible, is printed in England And then in 1582, the Roman Catholic Church produces uh, a New Testament in English, dropping 1,000 years of Latin only. And by 1609, the Roman Catholic Bible in English is produced in 1609. And in 1611, we'll notice we have all of those men that have been forerunners And the King James translators would have taken all those versions. And you notice at the beginning of your Bible, it says, former versions diligently compared. These men would have been experts in Greek and in Old Testament languages. And they would have compared. It wasn't they they were rejecting what had gone before. But they were taking all of those and having one Bible for uh, the English-speaking world. And I believe it's said to be the most printed book in the history of the world at one billion copies. (laughs) So, yeah, the Bible is the... And after that, nothing happens of any significance. (laughs) Except God seemed to bless his word by, if you read history, the expansion of the British Empire and the English-speaking evangelists evangelized the world about 200 years after that. So the expansion of the church exploded after that time period. Right, I mean, you think of all the great men that were English-speaking. Not doesn't English people are great. It's just God just chose to use that uh, to all of those forerunning uh, missionaries that went out, all Englishmen, And there were certainly others, but many of the the English kingdom expanding and through that, uh, the gospel. And really, nothing uh, worthy of mention even happens. The American Standard Bible is printed in 1901. The Dead Sea Scrolls are discovered in 1947. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, discovered in a cave in southern Israel, And they would have attested to the accuracy of the Old Testament. I think the earliest manuscript before that was at least a thousand years removed. 
so they would have uh, had uh, yeah great testament to the accuracy of scripture and that is the history of the events that unfolded down uh, through the ages and many men paid with their lives um, even in modern history uh, amongst the Chinese and everything they have uh, paid or had very little of the Bible in their language and thus had great reverence and coveted even one copy uh, of the scriptures where each church maybe would have one copy and they would have had to share it. I don't know. I think I'll have to stop there. Rules of textual criticism and really the downgrade of um, that whole... the, The King James has since had many, unfortunately, adversaries, not just the enemies of the church, but people trying to... Um, really undermine uh, confidence in the word of God. I I don't think people realize what they're doing. I had a great discussion with a man, uh, a missionary in Thailand, and we were talking about this whole issue, of which I consider myself largely ignorant. But one thing I've kind of got clear is uh, he is was trying to say how maybe unreliable the King James is and everything else. And I I said to him at one point, I said, so what you're trying to do is argue with me about having an unreliable Bible. That's really what you want me to believe. And he's like, uh... He finally realized what he was... And he did... It's like he just dawned on him all of a sudden. So you've got, you believe, an unreliable Bible. He didn't say that. But I just kind of put it in stark terms so he could understand what it... Because it took me a long, long time to get to this place. And he's like, hmm. Yeah. I... Because I know he didn't want that conclusion. But I said, that's what effect you're trying to get me to receive. And he, yeah, he had to really start to think about it. <laughs> he just thought, well, I'm not happy with that position. I said, well, neither am I. <laughs> so I said, that's why. I said, I don't have all the answers. And what about, you know, is the King James for everyone? You've got to make a King James Bible in Chinese? I said, no, I don't think so. This is the Bible in English. Is that that big of a deal? <laughs> and I believe it's inspired. We haven't got touched on a whole lot of stuff, but again, we'd be here until midnight, in which yeah, it would be kind of taxing for you, I would think. Um, but I hope I've whet your appetite for, yeah, just bolstering your confidence in the Scripture. And I haven't even gone into all of the internal evidences of the Bible in that regard. It'd be nice to hear Martin preach on that subject again. I... The last time I heard it in full was in Niagara for three and a half hours. Do you remember that? I remember, and everyone, took the clock off the yeah, Corny went up and he took the clock off the wall. It was like eleven o'clock, and the people were some people were like, Eutychus, you know. <laughs> I mean, I could have kept going, but I I almost wished it had been in smaller bite-sized chunks.
And it hasn't really happened again. And the only copy that we had was lost. Yep. Somebody's iPod, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been it's been lost. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I I really appreciated that uh, because prior to that I'd only met King James lunatics on the streets of Toronto. And I mean just people that were crazy. They were trying to win me to the King James, yelling and screaming at me as I was preaching on the streets of Toronto. You're using the wrong Bible. You know, just like calling us heretics and everything. And I'm just like, get this guy out of here. You know? And I met the same guy years later on the streets. Pass out, and he turns around. It's the same guy passing out the, the King James 1611 version is the only version of the Bible. And I was just groaning at that point. But... His manner was just offensive. And in communicating that subject, I think our manner should be not offensive. Because, um, yeah, I had many people seek to kind of win me over to that position. But I was like, I'm not listening because you're just being ornery. So, and it was a very important subject, but I couldn't hear it until I met Martin. Sure, yeah. Yep, I think I'm done now. It's 4 o'clock, so. And then, yep, we'll keep, um, I'm sure I'll have to have another session. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Sean, for that. Um, it's, it's good for our own faith. Uh, why did Luke, let me give you a trickier question, to whom did Luke write his uh, two books, his gospel and uh, history of church? Theophilus. And why did he write them? Yeah, but why? Why did it seem good? Is it bored this week? That thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. It's good to understand. So we've taught, you know, Sean has skated us, I think, very well through a couple thousand, well, 3,000, almost 4,000 years of scriptural history. Really fast, obviously a lot of details, but you get the thing in overview. Only thing I want to really draw attention to in that, other than thank you for that labor, Sean, is the way God has given and kept the scriptures is entirely consistent with the way God moves. This is a thing. And you, you see this when... Um, so one of the claims of Islam, which comes six and a half hundred years after the church, is they claim that your scriptures are corrupt. And we've got the true message. And here's the original one given to Muhammad. And we've protected it by the sword. So it's the original. And it is a, a presentation of human might and military power to preserve authenticity. That's basically the stance of Islam. 
but the entire history of the workings of God, starting with Adam and completed with Christ, is where the Almighty keeps the treasures of the universe in a very precarious position. Do you understand that? So, when Adam sinned and God, um, he promised redemption through Eve. Do you remember? I'll put uh, enmity between thee and the woman. And um, you saw Abraham, for example, the heir of promise, and his wife's barren. He's got the one son. And how precarious, he didn't have that son yet, how precarious that was. Abraham's weakness, his, his wife's purity was jeopardized, and he had to wait that period out to make sure it's known that it wasn't through anyone other than Abraham, right? All of those things. And then Isaac, the only heir. He didn't have, you know, tw- 10 or 20. One of the kings of Israel, I think he had 40 or 60 children. He had so many wives. Who are you again? You know, with all of his children. He has this one son. Offer him up. And then, no, no, don't do that. Here's a lamb instead. Just wanted to prove you. And then the whole nation of Israel sold as slaves into Egypt, oppressed. The deliverer, right, when, when they're trying to wipe out this nation by killing the children, the deliverer was cast into the Nile River in a basket. Crocodiles in the river and the, the king's trying to wipe them out. This is the, the salvation of the world embodied at that time in Moses. God had as a helpless baby floating in a river with crocodiles. That's how God has worked. And his hand of providence was upon this completely helpless baby. You see that? That's how he did the the nation. The scriptures were given to the Jews. Their temple was destroyed. But the scriptures were preserved. You come right down to the time of Christ. Where the savior of the world took upon him the form of of a man. He was made as a baby and he was tried again. Heathen king tried to wipe him out. And God entrusting the custodianship of the salvation of humanity to a poor carpenter and his wife. Fleeing in a series of providences. God letting the entire salvation of man as it were hang by a thread. So it's been the history of how God has mediated his word to the world. Moses was the embodiment of the Old Testament law. And Christ the living word. And the scriptures through the centuries have gone through the same process. I think at one point, was it Tyndale or Wycliffe's work was entire, all of his works were burned. Isn't that right? You had to start over. Do you remember reading it? One of them. Do you remember? Could be, yeah. Very precarious the whole time. And um, that is consistent with how God has worked. And... <laughs> God has deliberately given his word to be um, obtained by faith. The realities of the gospel are by faith. Just think, it's it's either we're going to have a large angel in every town square as proof that there's God so we can all walk by sight. Or there's going to be evidence that you can believe but still you must walk by faith. It's going to be one of those two paradigms. And God has always left it to be by faith. You will walk by faith. Not there's no evidence, but it's 
always going to be evidence that requires a trust in God so that we will walk with him by faith and not by sight. And that's what these, uh, this history of the whole um, outline the scripture brings out. And it's important to know the history. Specific claims, oh, it's been tampered with. Yeah, where and when and by whom? Right? These are the questions you want to counter with. Uh, no, it has not. Well, you don't have the original manuscripts. Uh, correct. <laughs> and the Bible tells you why. And we'll get into those things. Right? Um, but this is the whole point, that you might know the certainty of those things by w- in which you've been uh, instructed. So thank you, Sean, for your labors and for bringing that out. Um, can uh, take more in-depth study. Someone says, oh, you know, they made it up. Well, yeah, when, who? <laughs> You've got an unbroken chain going back 4,000 years. What were you thinking? that they made it up at the Council of Trent or they tampered with it. All of these things are up there. Get people to be specific about something and all of a sudden their mouths go quiet. They're just rumors and myths. So uh, receive the word of God by faith. Thanks again, brother. Brother Dave, would you stand and commit us to the Lord in prayer?